I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News. And now let's get things going with the Jack Riccardi Show. What would you call this little thing we have here, like the segue or the show introduction or the... This is called... Where you, where you wrap up and you hand off to me. What would you call that in I call radio? this I call this expert banter. Banter, okay. Or like a little, you know, like a little handing of the baton transition. Yeah, see, segue doesn't work because that's music in my experience. That's music, yeah. yeah. And so I, let, I let's, mean, let's, let's go banter. Well, whatever it is, I, I, I think, if I may say so, I think most days it goes pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's Some fun. days better than others. I, I want to play an example of uh, what happened on a television morning newscast where it, it did not go. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, I want to hear it. As well. Um, this is in Philadelphia, the morning news on a Philadelphia television station. Listen to this. Wednesday, mild, some sunshine, 60. Thursday, partly sunny skies and 57. And to another woman who likes to be double-fisted in a different way, I think, Jess. <laughs> she means beer. She means beer. Um, guys, <laughs> she means beer. Don't put me on YouTube. Yeah, too late. Oh, my God. <laughs> little St. Patrick's Day frivolity. I just... Yeah, we're going to take a pause. We're going to keep going. Um, nope. We're on running right now, guys. We're watching Route 202. Oh, my God. Yeah. I um, I understand, you know, there's people that lead sheltered lives. There's people that are very... <laughs> but you're on you're on television in Philadelphia. What's it like, market number six? You know, you got to... Yeah, yeah. yeah you got to know what that means. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hand it off to a woman that likes to be double-fisted. So oh, I was going to say play it again, but you just took care of that. So. Oh, we'll be playing it... <laughs> There will be nothing we'll play more often uh, oh, than that. Spin the hits, yeah. Jack. Spin the hits. That, you know me. You know me. You, you, if, you've ner- if you've learned nothing, you know he'll oh. run it into the ground. And to That's another woman who likes to be double-fisted in a different way, I think, Jess. <laughs> Do they not like each other? Is that what it is, maybe? Uh, wouldn't is you like, like to know the backstory there? You, you there's, need to know. Yeah, there's yeah, got to be something's a lot up. there. <laughs> Probably some awkward uh, moments in the in the uh, makeup room or the dressing room or whatever after that show. All right. Well, let's talk about, let's dive in. Welcome to our dreadful little show, by the way. And uh, let's dive into this Trump thing because it's in the news today. And um, if you've listened to me before, um, I don't know why you're back. No. If you've listened to me before, I always start with the premise with Donald Trump. And you may or not agree, but this is where I'm coming from. Donald Trump is who the Democrats and the media have put their money on. They've put all their chips on the table on the Trump spot. Okay, They're financially, emotionally, strategically invested in Trump being the, the GOP nominee in 2024 and frankly being the GOP nominee forever until he's no longer with us. I mean, they hate him, but they have kind of a love-hate thing for him. And here's how we know that's true. Back in 2015, they said hate with their words, but love with their constant, continuous coverage and repeating of his every word and action. The media made Trump. The media covered themselves with Trump, they they reaped the the ratings of Trump, and then they had to pretend that he was the worst thing that ever happened and hope that you wouldn't notice that they had made him happen. 
And I think they believe he is their easiest opponent for Biden and Harris or whoever the Democrats run next year. Now, again, that's how I see them. I'm I'm not telling you that's how I feel. That's just how I think they are operating. So when you want to understand what's going on with this Trump getting arrested and indicted thing, start with the premise that he's the guy they're invested in, He's the he's who they created, you know. This is Frankenstein's monster, and um, and go from there. Now you know the history here. For years, they have whetted our appetites with the walls are closing in. It, it's 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 all coming down. He's going to be impeached twice. He colluded with the Russians. The Russians distorted the 2016 election to put him in. He made the phone call to Ukraine that was just awful and terrible and horrible, and it's so bad you can't hear it. And none of that happened. None of that came to fruition. I mean, I mean, it didn't happen. I mean, it didn't. It didn't bring him down. And so today we're sitting here wondering if tomorrow, the Manhattan District Attorney a guy named Alvin Bragg, a JV politician, if ever there was one. We're waiting to see if he's going to have Trump brought in, fingerprinted, mugshotted, and uh, indicted for a procedural thing. Uh, Basically, that um, he misrepresented uh, payments to his attorney as part of the NDA hush money agreement with the porn star Stormy Daniels. So this involves Stormy Daniels, who you've heard about for years, Michael Cohen, the president's former attorney, we've heard about for years. And this is so old that the previous Manhattan DA, a guy named Cyrus Vance Jr., had already looked into this. He was also a Democrat. He was eager to get Trump, but he he determined we don't have it. We're, we're not going to do this. We don't. It's, there's not enough here. So he put it aside, he threw it in the, in the, in the drawer, and this new DA, Alvin Bragg, funded by George Soros, comes along, and he's, um, also on the record as saying previously that he had doubts about this case, but now has decided to resurrect it. And I don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow, but it's quite a come down from impeachment and collusion to misrepresenting a payment to an attorney. Plus, bringing him to Manhattan, however that happens, whatever the mechanics of that are, looks very theatrical. I mean, this is New York after all, so you've got, you know, tickets to a show in New York. He would most likely go in, get fingerprinted, they take the mug shot, he'd be released on his own recognizance. He's got a rally in Waco on Saturday. He'll be at the rally on Saturday. It's not like he'll be dragging a metal, you know, coffee cup back and forth across the bars singing nobody knows the trouble I've seen in some jail cell. That's not what's going to happen. So why are we going through this? Why is this all necessary? And some people over the weekend, Elon Musk, for example, were of the opinion that, oh, this is this is the best thing ever for Trump because now he'll be elected in a landslide. Now, I don't really understand that thinking. Do you Do you look at it that way? I mean... I, I don't understand how more people would support Trump after this happened than support him like right now. Don't get me wrong. This is the stuff of a banana republic. 
It's transparent, it's political, it's pathetic. But I, I kind of think the vast majority of people who actually can get off the sofa and go vote already know how they feel about Trump. They're either with him or against him. And, and I don't know how this would make people who are against him now be for him. I, I could see where maybe if you already like him, if you already favor him, you'd get your blood up, you'd be emotional, you'd you'd be even more ardent in your support for him, but you, you only get to vote once, doesn't matter how enthusiastically you vote. So what is this really about? I keep coming back to that question. What is this all really about, presuming it does happen tomorrow, which we don't know for sure that it will? Well, it does seem to come at a very interesting time, right? I mean, in the days before this, we've been hearing these bombshell reports of bank records, the House Oversight Committee, over a million dollars uh, coming from a Chinese communist company through a Biden family friend to Biden family members, Hunter, the president's brother James, Hallie, the widow of Bo, and possibly Joe Biden himself. There's a, another person identified only as Biden. And a lot of people have said, if there's anyone in the Biden family you would refer to only as Biden, that would seem to be the patriarch, the big guy. So I don't know. So you've got this thing that's unfolding in Congress, and the media are reluctantly covering it. I mean, even CNN and MSNBC are giving it some coverage. And then along comes the, oh, you know, uh, Trump's going to be arrested in Manhattan on Tuesday. It does do two things. It it distracts from the coverage of the Bidens. There's now a lot less real estate and airtime for that. But it also gives people that just sort of casually follow this stuff. And remember, remember, most people are kind of apolitical. Not everybody is a conservative or a liberal or red or blue. Most people are just kind of out there living their lives. And, you know, they get political when they have to, to cast a vote every two or four years, but they're not, they're not swimming in this stuff and breathing it all the time like you might be and I might be. So they hear this and they think, well, that's interesting. So they're invest, the Republicans are investigating Biden and saying he took money. And the Democrats are getting ready to fingerprint Trump. I guess we're a banana republic. I guess we're just a country where now, when you have power or you threaten power, you get investigated or arrested. It's just happening all over the place. In other words, it's not only a distraction, it's meant to trivialize the whole idea of investigations and criminal accusations and charges themselves. This whole thing is just political. Everything's political. The stuff with Biden's political. The stuff with Trump's political. They'll come up with dirt on DeSantis, and that'll be political. They'll come up with dirt on whoever else runs, and that'll be political, too. This is to wear people down. It's It's to defeat, discourage, fatigue them into thinking we really descended into a banana republic. That wouldn't be hard to think, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot of other stuff in the news that supports that, that premise. That's what I think might be going on here. Every legal expert who's looked at this says uh, Trump is not in legal jeopardy. And again, even very political Democratic district attorneys who know they can get a Manhattan grand jury to indict Trump. I mean, it's, 
they could indict him for spitting on the sidewalk. But even they don't seem very enthused about it. So why are they doing it? Who's, you know, who benefits? And that's kind of where my head is at on this. I want to know what you think. 210-599-5555. Um, I, I don't really get the, the thinking that, oh, now he's a lock, he'll be elected. Because the people doing this don't want him as president. They want him as their opponent. They think they can beat him. They're not worried about it. They did it in 2020. However, they did it, and you may think they cheated in doing it, but if they cheated, then they'll just cheat again. And if they defeated him legitimately, then they figure they can just defeat him legitimately again. But that's what I think they want. They want him. They are, everything they do is with that in mind. Biden is a mess. The family is a mess. Anything that takes away from that or just or pulls your eyes away from that or pulls our coverage away from that is to their benefit. And again, they've made these people. They made Joe Biden. They, they, they manufactured his candidacy and his viability out of thin air. The guy was in a basement. They made Trump. They parked their cameras at every event he did. They ignored all the other Republican candidates in 2015 and 2016 and only covered him. Would he have won anyway? Maybe. But they made him. And this is where it's at. And this is what they, they're trying to um, lock in the storyline they're most invested in. They've spent a lot of money on this. We often hear people say that Donald Trump was, uh, you know, unique or uh, unorthodox. And I don't just mean the way he was as president with Make America Great Again and the things he did. He, th- this is how different this guy is. We know there were prostitutes and porn stars. We know there were non-disclosure agreements and hush money. And a whole lot of people are like, yeah, I'm okay with that, though. I I don't mind that, or I already knew that. That's extraordinary. Think about any other politician ever that we've ever had. One prostitute. It's over. One payment of hush money. It's over. Remember Gary Hart? Just one. Just one. And with Trump, some of the people that love him the most are, the, are, are personally the most morally upright, conservative people you will ever know. They're good people. But they want to hire him to do a job that's hard and harsh and you can't be a nice guy and do it. And he's who they've settled on. And that's what makes this so extraordinary, so unusual. And that's why I'm not sure I buy the argument that, oh, well, uh, if they fingerprint him and book him, he'll be reelected in a landslide. I don't, I don't, I, I think people, people are already sorted out about this guy. And to me, the more I think about it and the more I look at it, the more I think this is really more for the benefit of Biden and the Biden family than it is for the detriment of Trump and his chances. But 210-599-5555, William is on the Jack Riccardi Show. William, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Let's do a quick gang of two. <laughs> okay. So, okay. your first point, I, I believe that you're correct. Trump was built by the media, 
and uh, and their intention for that was they thought Hillary was an easy win over him, especially with the, the slight amount of cheat I believe they used back then. Yeah. However, by the time the four years was up, they knew exactly how much cheat they needed. They built uh, they built Biden, and of course, for four years we had nothing but trash thrown at, at Trump in any fashion they could find, in hopes that they could win, and they did. They had enough cheat involved, and they threw enough garbage. And people mm-hmm. chose not to educate themselves, so they were able to win. And now we're back in that same position again where they want him as the candidate. I totally yeah. agree with you. And I believe the cheat will be in again, but I'm not sure if it's going to work as well this time because some states have taken it and made sure that won't happen again. Um, so we'll just hope, we just hope the states that big and matter are the ones that, that it will mm-hmm. make sure the cheat doesn't happen. Because I, I agree that I think – they do want him as a candidate, and I think this whole this whole thing coming up tomorrow, if it happens or not, is all about smoke and mirrors in order to distract from the Biden issues. Because Biden has so many issues, it's, it's just remarkable the amount of issues that's on the Biden family, and we can't talk about that. It's like everybody is all yeah. There's no there's no time now to talk about that because oh he, he's going to be fingerprinted and we're going to take a mugshot <laughs> and we're going to have to show that all night long tomorrow night. Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're right, William. I mean, I to me. I know when you support Trump, you, you take it personally, you feel for, but, but just step back, take a deep breath and understand that th- your choices aren't happening organically. They're being manipulated. And, and I, I believe there's like a casting call going on here where they need him to do certain things in support. He's the supporting actor. Biden is the guy they, they're, they're trying to save. Because with Biden in the presidency, stuff is happening that could never have happened openly and outwardly. No one could have run saying they were going to do all the things that's now getting done. So he's the Trojan horse, and they want to roll that Trojan horse through the gate again one more time next year. Robert is on the radio. Robert, good afternoon. Hey, how you doing, Jack? I'm good, Robert. How are you? I'm fine. Yeah, so, you know, the, the idea I wanted to get across was that basically, you know, I, I think that these perverse incentives often go uh, underreported. So, I mean, will the media, uh, you know, gang up on Trump and and come out with some uh, way to hide a, a Biden conspiracy? I mean, they've done that before. Sure, they do it again. And I think ultimately it's all about clicks for the media, all about selling eyeballs. I think, you know, if you look at the disinformation experts out there now, um, a lot of that ties back into corporate money in politics. So, I mean, every way you look, there there just seems to be perverse incentives. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that... um... I think if you understand that, that, that they, they made him in the first place and then they made Biden, um, th- their worst nightmare would be that Trump would just take his ball and go home, that he would just decide to be a retired guy and, and, uh, and decide, you know, I've had enough and I've got my golf courses and I've got my family. And they, for the purposes of where they want to go next year, He's the guy they want to run against. I'm not insulting him when I say that. They may be insulting him in thinking that, but I'm just telling you I think that's how it is. And and he's 
it looks to me like he's going to do exactly what they want him to do. Not only run, but but talk about this stuff, keep reminding you about all this stuff. He's he's running down DeSantis and making up names for him, which is weird because even if Trump wants four more years, DeSantis is obviously the guy who would then pick up the baton after that time. And so he, he, Trump's playing his part beautifully, just like he did on The Apprentice. It, it, it's almost like they're giving him cue cards. And the Biden stuff is what might foul it up, so now they're making sure that there's no time and space for that. KTSA, Connecticut Quality Water Softeners, Newsmaker Line, right now joining the show, Fox News correspondent David Spunt. And I know it's a busy day, David Spunt, so we appreciate you giving us a few minutes. Um, obviously, everybody's... Everybody's trying to figure out what is going to happen tomorrow, if anything, and and how it'll go down. What 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 are you hearing about this uh, potential uh, indictment and and Donald Trump perhaps being at the district attorney's office tomorrow? Well, first of all, we don't know anything's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, this is something that the former president put out saying that you know mm-hmm. hinting that he was going to be arrested on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. We know the grand jury is likely wrapping up. We know this for several reasons, because witnesses who have spoken before the grand jury have come out and told us uh, they believe they are the last few witnesses. We just had Robert Costello, who was a uh, longtime confidant of Michael Cohen, uh, Trump's former fixer, who actually uh, rebuffed Cohen in front of the grand jury, just came out and, and said why he went in front of the grand jury to rebuff Cohen and uh, essentially you know, questioned Cohen's credibility. Um, you know, the other reason is that we know that this is coming to an end is because the former president was actually invited to appear before the grand jury, uh, which is a sign that uh, prosecutors are typically wrapping up when they invite the principal to come in, shows that they're wrapping things up. And, and one more thing, uh, we know likely something's going to happen this week. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be Wednesday. Um, although it could be is because law enforcement, who's closely coordinating with the district attorney's office, uh, putting up barricades, uh, meetings are going on in Washington, D.C. and in New York City uh, to coordinate and make sure that nothing gets out of hand should this go down. But we're not certain uh, by any means 100 percent that Donald Trump is going to be arrested on Tuesday, mm. as he says. That's just something that he mm. said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, do we know, does anybody know where he is supposed to be tomorrow like does he does he happen to have travel plans in new york or is he in florida or do we know you know i'm not sure uh we do know that you know first of all this is all up in the air because this has never happened before so we we truly are and i hate to use right. this right uh, overused phrase but we are in uncharted waters here um because this is just not something that has happened before um you know whether or not he would physically come to the district attorney's office um yes Likely, however, it's possible that he could make a first appearance virtually. Again, this is all just in advance of of um, any announcement of you know happening. But clearly, something is coming to a head. As far as his actual schedule, no, we don't know where he's going to be um, tomorrow. I don't believe he has anything uh, public tomorrow. Um, you know, however, it, it's really just a rolling target. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that while he was, as you say, kind of hyping, I'm about to be arrested, which is the most bizarre, probably the most bizarre thing we've ever heard a politician say, um, a lot of his most uh, loyal 
supporters in the political world were kind of throwing cold water on the idea of protests or lashing out, don't do it, that wouldn't be smart. So it, it, it's, you know, it's clear that, that there is some concern that this could set us up for some sort of, you know, moment that would be reminiscent of or look like January 6th. Well, we all hope not. And I think that's, you know, from both sides of the aisle. I do know that law enforcement, whether it's the FBI, Secret Service, or NYPD, uh, Metro PD in, in Washington, D.C., are all heavily, heavily uh, aware of what you just said. Uh, and, and U.S. Capitol Police were holding meetings today and extra cautious on all levels to make sure something like that does not happen, happen again. You heard uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy yesterday said, you know, do not violently protest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. John Kennedy, the senator mm-hmm. from uh, Louisiana, said, quote, I'm reading this right now, quote, don't be a knucklehead and riot, end quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly there is a concern, not only from Democrats, but from Republicans, that things may get out of hand. Um, but there is a, a from from everything I've gathered and, and other members of law enforcement have said, we're in a much different place now than we were on January 5th or the morning of January 6th, 2021. Uh, we are much more aware now of what can happen and we saw mm-hmm. what could happen and not saying it's going to happen again, not not even going down that road. But I think law enforcement has to prepare for that just mm-hmm. in case the worst comes out. So just just to go over a couple of things to make sure I heard you correctly, it, it's sometimes an option to appear virtually. It sometimes gets negotiated to some future date, meaning it might not happen right away. But you'd you'd work out a day and time where where he could uh, present himself. Um, there was a question put to to Governor Ron DeSantis uh, the other day about whether uh, he would have any role since. Trump is a Florida resident, which I thought was yeah. a neat way of kind of, um, you know, weaving him into this whole crazy story, too. And he he dodged it and said, I don't know anything about that. And no one has said anything to that effect. And you haven't heard anything to that effect, right? Not at all. No, it's it's something clearly he doesn't want to do. And and, um, you know, it's not clear what he would even be able to do in that sense. But, you know, listen, we do know that Donald Trump would be fingerprinted. He would be photographed. He could be handcuffed. But like I said, this is all brand new territory here. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a former president of the United States. So can exceptions be made? Sure, exceptions can be made. I mean, Mm -hmm. people say that things will go a certain way, but until it happens, Mm -hmm. you don't know how it's going to go. But but, but certainly um, there would be a standard Miranda warning told he has the right to remain silent. You know, this is if he's arrested. There could be a, a chance at the last minute that he comes in and meets, you know, meets uh, voluntarily, comes, turns himself in, so there's not an arrest. There's always ways to wiggle around this and, and yeah. like you said, uh, appear at a later date, uh, potentially a virtual hearing just because of the crowds and the tumult uh, and the concern for for the safety of, of law enforcement officers and, and people that are outside. So there are many different ways that this could go down. But it appears, and I want to couch the word appears, Something is going on just based on the fact yeah. that you have law enforcement putting up barricades um, and and preparing. There are definite conversations going on, but the question is, when would the grand jury say, okay, let's vote, let's move forward? Fox News correspondent David Spunt, appreciate your time as always. Thank you so much. Hey, you're very welcome. Take care. All right, joining us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, you can join us at 210 210- 
599-5555. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, it, it, we keep saying uncharted waters. and it's di- he, he's, he's different. I mean, he is different, like I said before. Just, just the idea that you could have a president potentially running again for the presidency about whom it is known, we, we know, there were other women. There were there were porn stars. There were non-disclosure excuse me non-disclosure agreements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when just the idea of a divorced political candidate was oh, I don't know if people will uh, be all right with that, you know. So we're, that that's the other way that this is so different because I think if they if they don't read this right and they think. Um, oh, we're going to really shock people by saying, look, he got fingerprinted, and look, we took a, a mug shot, and look, there were... I, I think there... I, I can't believe they would not know that people have already priced that in to Donald Trump. I mean, remember, people who hate him, they can make you a list as long as their arm of stuff they don't like about him and hate about him. But the people who support him, they also know all of this. They heard the Access Hollywood tape. They know, they know all this stuff. They know about the marriages. They know about the women. They know about the pageants. They know about the non-disclosure. They, they've already priced it in, too. So what are you doing here? I don't think you're moving the needle on Trump. And that's where I come up with, well, then the only other benefit to someone who's a Democrat or Democratic media is that we're we're smothering the Biden Chinese money story. I mean, it's just we're squeezing all the oxygen out of that. It seems to be doing that. Now, not that that will go away. I mean, the, the congressional committee is what it is, and they're doing what they're going to do, and I don't know what it will wind up as, but not, not not that it will go away or that it won't happen. But remember, if stuff doesn't happen on television... For a lot of people, it just didn't happen at all, right? If it's not on TV, it's not happening anymore. It's not, it's not, it's not active anymore. You know that's not true. But for a lot of people, just getting it off the screens, that's, that's like it's gone. So there's been this thing all through the, the NHL season where they're having pride nights. All the NHL teams have a pride night. San Jose Sharks had their pride night on Saturday night and they wear a different jersey. And, and there's always a play on every one of these teams, right? There's always one or more players that won't won't wear it. Uh, a week ago, it was the Minnesota Wild. Several players said, "I goes against my beliefs. I I won't wear the pride shirt." And this is this is the kind of controversy that is kind of new to sports. Sports controversies used to be stuff like, uh, you know, should they have traded the quarterback? Or, you know, is Pete Rose betting on the games? <laughs> or is, is a guy taking steroids? Now we've got these political controversies. And then I read this. I thought this was interesting. You've heard me talk about the NCAA basketball tournament, so-called March Madness. That's been going on. It is going on. They are getting record television ratings for the NCAAs. According to Sports Business Journal, the first round was the most watched first round in the history of the NCAA tournament. Um, and we're talking, in the first round, you're talking about some rather obscure schools. 
what they call Cinderella teams. The first round drew three times the audience of the first two rounds of last year's NBA playoffs. Now, the NBA playoffs are all well-known players on well-known teams. But again, the NCAAs, are, especially in the first round, even if you're a college basketball fan like I am, I, some of these schools, I, I, guess I didn't even know Princeton had a basketball team. Why is this happening? Why is their record ratings for the NCAA tournament? I think it's because we're not, we're not done with sports. We're done with politics in sports. When you watch college basketball, you're not seeing anthem protests. You're not seeing people act out their political agenda. These, these are, these are energetic, enthusiastic, play their hearts out young men leaving it all on the court. It's exciting because you can relate to them. They're like your little brother. And it's just, it's just great competition. And professional sports is becoming unwatchable and unlikable. And these college guys, you can't help but like them. And these ratings show it. We're not done with sports. We're done with woke sports. So we were just talking with David Spun from Fox News, mm-hmm. and right after we ended that uh, segment, um, he got some information, and we were just uh, going back and forth. It now looks like the uh, NYPD and the Manhattan uh, District Attorney's Office is not expecting anything till next week. Not this week, but next week. Uh, and at that point, if there's going to be a grand jury decision and an indictment, that's when the former president would, I guess, present himself in New York. There, I guess it could be virtual or it could be in person, but it now looks like next week, not this week. So. Jack, I'm scribbling, having to keep up with you. Well, we were just Don and I were just talking off the air. It's good stuff. Do you think that uh, you think that Trump wants sort of the spectacle of like being in handcuffs? Or, yes, yes, yes. I, yeah, I think so too. In, in First fact, of all. First of all, I, I don't think it'll be the first time he's worn handcuffs, but we'll just leave that. If, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> That's bad. But I, I just, I feel like, I feel like this is sort of in his mind. This is building the brand, right? I'm such a skeptic, Jack. I'm not sure that he's not almost encouraging it. And I don't mean that to sound negative towards him, but he's but like, like daring them to do it. Or well, it's like a, a buddy of mine. Uh, it's gosh, like before twenty six. Now nah, I guess he was already president, but back say twenty seventeen, a good friend of mine referred to Trump as the mud monster, meaning that were all other politicians, candidates, and so forth, they wither and just melt if you throw enough mm-hmm. mud at them. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you do it to Trump, he mm-hmm. turns into Godzilla. Yep. He just yep. gets bigger and more powerful. And yep. and you've mentioned this, uh, Trey Ware, in the morning. It's it, At some point, it's like the little boy who cried wolf. And can you take this any more seriously than you did uh, Russia Spy or right. anything? I mean, I don't even have the if list anything, in front of me. This looks pretty tiny compared to what they it's, were originally promising, it's right? It's not very strong. It's It seems weaker than the than the documents. Remember yeah. last September, yeah. October, whatever yeah. it was? All that, all yeah. that facade for that. And yeah. so if I'm – you get to know Donald Trump. This guy's not afraid of, of any kind of publicity, and this is right up his alley. Yeah, there you go. 
As long as they spell his name right, Jack Riccardi, late afternoon show. So uh, we're talking about that. We uh, we have the poll question about Iraq. It's been 20 years since we went into Iraq. And uh, how do you feel about that now? I mean, it's it's not only the decision to go in, which, remember, was supposed to be premised on uh, weapons of mass destruction, Saddam Hussein. We had tr- we already had gone into Afghanistan post nine eleven, and so the concern was not only about the region but the troops next door, and um, we were going to root out and eliminate the weapons of mass destruction. In the course of doing it, we overthrew the government of Saddam Hussein, which certainly nobody felt bad about, and he went into hiding, and then eventually we captured him. But then we went to that neocon playbook of, well, now we're going to set up uh, a Madisonian democracy, and uh, this is going to be a new shining city on the hill in the middle of the Middle East. It'll be a model. I I love the way people forget there already is a a fully functioning democracy in the Middle East called Israel. So it's not like you have to prove it can be done. It is being done. But obviously that failed. Um, the the setting up of or the establishing of a state uh, in Iraq failed. And um, there is in its place uh, a failing or failed uh, state. And there was a tremendous amount of blood and treasure uh, spent on that failure. So you might be of the mind that we shouldn't have gone in the first place. Or you might be of the mind that it was it was okay to go, but we should have left soon, quickly. Like, I think a lot of people would say it's one thing to go because you you have the, the intel about WMD, but it's it's not okay to stay for years and years and years and that guy Karzai and the elect well Karzai was Afghanistan, but you know trying to set up the 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 post war government and uh, all of that sort of um, military industrial complex stuff. Um, and did we do all that because we really believed that we were going to leave it better than we found it, or did did the Bush administration stay there? to cover up the fact that they had been fed a lot of nonsense uh, about WMD and and so forth. And Saddam Hussein did have the uranium, and he probably did have, I mean, we've interviewed, I don't know how many people on this show, including people in Iraq. It's, it's, It's likely that he had had past tense Weapons of mass destruction. I mean, he used them against Iran when he has war with Iran. He used them against his own people at times. Um, I'm not so sure that he had them in the way that we were claiming he had them and was menacing the world with them in in March of 2003. But where are you on on this war and our involvement in it 20 years later? Today's JR poll, 210-599-5555. Um, you know, I think, and I, I love my country, and I'm not saying this to be a hater, but I think we keep making the same mistake. It seems like we've done this in a lot of places. I'm not sure I can say this as intelligently as I want to, but 
when you look at a sort of a hellhole of a country, it is easy to associate that with its leader. And if the leader is a dictator and he's this syphilitic, crazed dictator like Saddam Hussein, well, you, you can very easily conclude, well, okay, he's the root of all their problems. What happens in a lot of these countries is, yes, they have a terrible, corrupt dictator, but that guy is the symptom. He's not the the cause. A lot of these countries around the world are not real countries. They are constructs. They're they're lines on a map. They were drawn in a post-colonial time. They're built on corruption, and they're built on um, no tradition of democracy, where, where no one really has the the experience with it. And in a lot of these places, the reason there's a strongman form of government is that is because that's what they've always had. And they, you can install a democracy, but you can't sustain one. I mean, Russia is technically a democracy. They have elections and parties, but Putin obviously is not in any danger of not being reelected. China's a democracy. They, they have elections. They have a party congress and, and Xi has to go before the party congress and get another term. But I mean, it's a foregone conclusion. And at this point, Iraq has become essentially a, 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 a brother regime, uh, to the Iranians, which is probably the worst possible outcome. It's not just a failed state. Uh, it's now even worse than that. Um, so this was a big blunder. Either going in was, or certainly, if not that, the way we tried to stay and remake it. You know what's interesting? All the people who authored it, are all the people running foreign policy in the Republican and Democratic parties. They're all still there. They'll be the ones picking out the place and the time and the terms for the next war, too. Uh, and and that's, that's obviously a source of great frustration. We do have a kind of, I guess it's a government within the government, right? It's a, It's a group of people that, do all the uh, analysis, do all the planning, do all the budgeting, uh, draw the plans, pick the places, whisper into the ear of whoever the president is. It's it's very interesting when you look at the fact that, we, we, yeah, we changed administrations. We went from Bush to Obama, but a lot of the same people and think tanks, right? 20 years later, uh, what do you think about going into Iraq Travis is on the radio. Travis, good afternoon. Welcome to the Jack Riccardi Show. Thank you for calling. Hey, Jack. How you doing, sir? Good, sir. How are you? Good. So, yeah, 20 years ago, uh, I was there when we did the initial invasion of Iraq in 2003. Uh, I, I served in the Marines for 10 years, and the way I look at this is that regardless of what people may think or how, whatever viewpoint they have about the war, Saddam Hussein needed been removed from power, 100%. I guarantee you, like, you could talk to anybody about it, and they will actually agree with me. He had to be removed from power, period. Um, for me, and I'm pretty sure, like, 
any other veteran that served in the in the uh, conflict would actually agree with me. Put politics aside, put everything aside, because once that first bullet passes your head, the only thing you're thinking about is the buddy next to you. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all you're thinking about from that point on. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't, I don't want to go too deep into the political aspect of it because everyone's going to have their viewpoints. Everyone's going to have their smoking gun on what actually, uh, uh, what the purpose was or what their reasoning was why we went. When you say he had to be removed, Travis, he, he'd, he'd been there a long time. And um, we had already fought a war against him uh, after the invasion of Kuwait. Um, that Removing him wasn't actually the reason we said we were going. We said we were going because he had weapons of mass destruction. And then removing him became part of, of, of that rooting out process. But... Can you argue that even though he was a terrible person and a terrible dictator and a threat to the region, now Iraq is like the the junior partner of Iran? I mean, it's not a good situation. No, it's true. It isn't. Um, I really don't know the whole details about the uh, weapons of mass destruction. Uh, everybody had their different uh, operations that they were in charge of and what they had to go do during that right. time. There were some selected to go look for him. There were some selected to go seek out uh, possible uh, intel for whatever their uh, uh, the Iraqi Republican Guard uh, sitting at, things like that. Everybody had their own different mission. Right. For me, I believe that they did have the weapons. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. they did. And they were mm-hmm. able to smuggle them out mm-hmm. of the country mm-hmm. prior to an invasion. Yeah. Yeah. That could be. There was a lot of people who believed that at the time. Would it make you? Would you be? Would you be angry, Travis, if we found out someday in your lifetime that that they knew the weapons were not there, and people like Colin Powell or George Bush lied about it? Would that Would that make you angry? Absolutely not. Like I said, we had to remove them from power. Period. Regardless mm-hmm. of what was happening, uh, even though we know that there was funds transferred to mm-hmm. al-Qaeda, and through mm-hmm. the networks, through Auden and everything, money was getting flushed through mm-hmm. Iraq to fund terrorism against mm-hmm. uh, UN forces and coalition forces. Yeah, yeah. Well, please please know that I'm not, when I ask this question today, I'm not being disrespectful of, of you or anyone who served, uh, but I think we we, the people, always need to judge what our leaders do and the places they send men like you. I mean, we're, we're looking out for you when we ask these questions, and, and our concern is that when you serve your country as you did, that it's for the right reasons and in the best way. No, I, I completely understand, and I absolutely agree. I think that regardless of what was actually or what was the actual purpose of it was, that there was, there needs to be some type of accountability if or if mm-hmm. not it was true mm-hmm. okay and so your takeaway is we got rid of a of a terrible dangerous dictator uh and that's that that itself is a good thing well yeah because like i said regardless of what you think i know and everybody knows for a fact that money was getting cycled through mm-hmm. iraq to right. uh, Al-Qaeda and all those right. uh, insurgents who were actually right. hunting down 
UN forces and not just the UN, it was like everyone around the world. It was a global war on terrorism, period. Right. So right. all these that were getting attacked were being funded by mm-hmm. uh, by Saddam Hussein himself. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Travis, thank you for the call. Thank you for serving. Uh, honored to have you listening, and I appreciate that you called today. I hope you will again. Uh, 210-599-5555. I, I remember, and I don't remember who said it, but I remember years ago uh, we had a guest who made a, a really good point that just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Um, I mean, this was so many years ago, we were still fighting in Iraq. And he made the point that whatever you think of Saddam Hussein, Saddam Hussein was an enemy of Iran. So while he was in power, Iran was a, a uh, if not a threat, at least a um, counterweight uh, to the Iranian regime. The Iranian regime is, is, is very dangerous, uh, very expansionist, very involved in, in its neighbors' affairs. Um, and th- this, I think it was a guy, this guy's point was, was it smart to take away the regime that was kind of keeping them busy and keeping them up at night, which it was. Uh, we're talking about the 20 years since the U.S. went into Iraq. Uh, this was uh, a, maybe uh, two or so years, maybe, I guess about a year and a half uh, after we had gone into Afghanistan. In time, people started thinking of those two wars in tandem, but of course they they started very differently and they started for very different uh, reasons. Um, and Afghanistan was very specifically about the 9-11 attack, and Iraq was... Uh, more geopolitical and weapons of mass destruction was the, was the given reason. So what are you thinking, uh, 20 years after, uh, very emotional and I think very, uh, logical, uh, reasoning from Travis who served, uh, in Iraq and, uh, said, look, I wouldn't even care if the politicians, uh, you know, fudged the details because it was just so important to take that guy off the board. Uh, what is your take? Jack is on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Jack, good afternoon. Yes, uh, Jack. Uh, you know, you may recall that on September 11, 2001, a terrorist did uh, murder as many as up to 3,000 Americans on our own land. Well, I now, didn't forget that, if, Jack. I, I don't think anybody listening has forgotten that. Well, well, the idea to fight that is, of course, to to go after the leader in their country, the leader who sponsored mm-hmm. training camps for them. That was mm-hmm. Saddam Hussein. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. If, if but that if isn't why we that, went. But that isn't why we went, Jack. Well, it's also to because we did. Yes, we, he did have weapons of mass destruction in the form of chemical weapons some of which he used on his own people at mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've said all this already, so just let me just, I don't want to waste your time. So I agree with you, he had chemical weapons, although we didn't find them, and as Travis pointed out, he may have smuggled them out of the country or given them to his allies. He did have the yellow cake uranium, but he didn't apparently have the means to make a, a nuclear weapon out of it. He did 
was a paymaster for terror groups, and there were terror camps inside Iraq. But all those things have been true for many, many years. Those things have been true and known to the United States for many, many years. That's Those are not the reasons we went in in 2003. Well, but, but also having having won that war and having stayed there has prevented the terrorists from attacking our, our country since then. It, it was like the, the, uh, the that's, motel. Jack, you're just repeating you're just repeating talking points. I mean, that's not that. First of all, the terrorists are still out there. Um, I don't believe that because we spent all those years and all that blood in Iraq, they are unable to attack us again. I, I'm sure you would agree that we can't let our guard down. They could they could strike at any moment. But the question is, were we right to not only go, but to stay and try to remake Iraq into a democracy, which ultimately did not work? And since you're worried about what could happen in Iraq, I, I can tell from your call, aren't you worried about the fact that Iraq is now an annex of Iran, a country that is even worse than the things you've just described about Iraq? Well, of course, I, I, anyone would be, Jack. But, but the idea is that, <laughs> unfortunately, um, uh, Barack Obama pulled us out around, I think it was 2011, as you may recall. And so we did not, there was no uh, civilized forced to, to, to keep uh, the, the peace there and prevent the, the bad guys mm-hmm. from, from gaining power. Mm-hmm. So, so you I, think I we left call. too soon. If we, had, if we had stayed longer, it would have been better. Well, uh, it, it would it increase the, ch- the chances of the, of the, uh, the Taliban, the uh, uh, Al-Qaeda, the, 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 all, the, all those bad uh, imp- well, let me ask you, Jack, if you if you believe that, is, is that an open-ended, I mean, do you then have to stay in a country that you've done this, uh, you know, indefinitely? Or isn't it reasonable to say, we're, we're taking this action, but we, we have to get out. We don't want to be, we don't want an empire. We don't want to occupy other countries. That's not, that's not our thing. And that's not what we do. And it's not in our that interest to reasonable. do it. Yes, it is reasonable, Jack, but. But of course, you've got to balance that with the idea of well, how how strong will the bad guys be if we leave, and, mm-hmm. and at what point do we leave? I mean, uh, it, mm-hmm. it already, as you can see, that, that they're gaining strength, and eventually they right. will, as 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 the developments have occurred there. Mm-hmm. I, I just I feel like I think we have to remember that terrorism is not like a traditional enemy, where if you take away his country, he has nothing. This is a movable, fungible. Thing that can set up elsewhere, that can move quickly, that can be mobile. Uh, heck, it can radicalize Americans right here in America. And and to you know to answer your earlier point about they haven't attacked us on our own soil. Really, they have because how many times have we hurt, turned on the news and found out that some radicalized American has carried out an act of terrorism on our soil against our own people. It doesn't have to be Saudis with box cutters. It just has to be whatever form they can take. And and the thing about occupying other countries is they're here. You know, they're they're already operating here. They're operating and they're reaching hearts and minds uh not from a territory, but from the internet and just and and I think really just through through playing the long game. I mean, if you read um, the book the, the Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright, he really lays out how um, Islamist terrorism is 100 years old. It's more than 100 years old. And it's, 
its tenets and its philosophies stress that they will out out uh, out uh, what's I'm trying to say outlast or outweigh the West. They have us pegged for decadence and instant gratification and short attention spans, no real discipline, and their thinking is times on our side. And, and that's why I'm not. I, I'm not. We obviously people can disagree about Iraq and whether we should have gone and whether we should have stayed and how long we should have stayed. But I, I guess for me, the problem with saying we should have stayed longer is that that sounds like a traditional war. You know, like if you're occupying Germany after World War II or Japan after World War II, it's because the enemy and the land are the same but not this enemy. And we know this about bin Laden because before he ever struck the United States, before Americans even knew his name, he had already lived in a number of different places. He had already operated from a number of different places. He would get thrown out of one country and go to another one. Uh, and, and we wound up getting him in Pakistan. And Pakistan is supposed to be a U.S. ally. And we had to basically fight our way into our supposed ally to get him. So, I, you know, I'm a skeptic about it. And I respect the people who served. And I respect the service. This is not to disparage it or make light of it at all. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about arguments like, well, you just have to stay or um, you, just have to, you just have to go to these places. And... If nothing else, at least let's see if we can learn something, right? Let's, let's at least say, well, all right, there's some things that if we were to do it again or we were to encounter these circumstances again, we would do differently. We would do more intelligently. Um, and I guess I am a little, I guess I'm a little worried when I hear people say, well, I'm not so concerned about the WMD thing. That was paramount. I mean, Colin Powell who used to make the lists of the most respected Americans, most admired Americans. Colin Powell held up a vial at the United Nations Security Council. Said, here's a sample. They didn't find it. That, that, that has to be a problem. There has to be an accounting for that. And, and even if you want to let that go, I'll give you one more. The architects of this, the advocates of this, are still making all the decisions and giving all the foreign policy advice to this president and every president. And you you have to wonder, did they learn anything? Do they even care? If war is your business, do you really care very much about how long it goes or how long it takes or if it achieves its objectives. I mean, this is military-industrial complex stuff, right? Dwight Eisenhower talked about this, that there there was a kind of person for whom victory didn't matter, effectiveness didn't matter. Just the business of it mattered. 20 years after, uh, was going into Iraq, a mistake, 210-599-5555, and Carlos is on the radio. Hi, Carlos. Hey Jack, how's it going? Hey. Well, all right. I'll get I'll get right to it. So, that war in my opinion 
listen, I am 30, 32. So in my eyes, the way I see it is a, it is a literal knockout game. It was America's knockout game. Went in, knocked out, knocked out the guy in charge, ransacked the place, took the gold, took the oil, took the whatever resources, and left the place in ruins. Who rebuilt it? Halliburton did. But hold on. So you're, you know, I know, I know. Okay, whoa, 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 hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right. Took the on. gold, took the oil. Where are you getting that? It happened. It, it, no, it, it didn't. It, it, it was, it was all recorded. <laughs> no, it didn't. No, it did. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. I'm not. I'm no defender of Halliburton, but part of the problem is we didn't take anything. Part of the problem is we didn't. We had this idea that we were going to build a Madisonian democracy and they were going to be the stewards of their fortunes and they, and, and it didn't happen because they have no history or tradition of democracy or even of being a, a country. They were created by colonial powers. It's not even a real country on the I map. Agree. So I, 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 I'm with you on Halliburton, but you, you've been lied to about we took all the oil and gold. That's not true. I don't, I don't, I don't quite believe that, but. You know, and, and that's okay, and that's okay because you know, and this, this is that's that's what that's what that's what a dialogue is, you know. But when you so say that, it was a knockout game, what do you mean by that? How, explain what you mean by that. So the knockout game, I mean, if you haven't heard, is like, um, you know, I guess you and your friends go over and knock out someone, and then just raid their pockets. That's basically it. You know, you just kind of knock them out. Boom, well, Carlos, boom, I, I'm I'm having a little. Are we talking about the same war? Because the United States stayed there for years and years and years, and we had truck drivers for the Marines delivering, yeah. you know, pumpkin seeds to farmers and all this other crap. And you're describing it like like it was a smash and grab, like it was a carjacking. Uh, but it wasn't. First, we stayed there for a long time, time and tried to build a new country. That's that's where all the blood and treasure went. Right. At first, I thought about it like that too. But then, you know, as the years dragged on by, it it it, it actually really did. You know how how do you how do you, how do you explain the uprooting of the terrorists? It was a war on terrorism, but the war ended and who won? The terrorists didn't lose. They never lost anything. They weren't even there to begin with. So uh, okay, you know, we just, we have some was, disagreements was, here, but but I think back, I think what you're saying is back from decisions that were being made from the Cold War. You what know, you're saying is, really you, what? God, you're like a wind-up doll, man. What you're saying, I think, is that it was a mistake. It was a big mistake. It was it was a big mistake, a loss of life. And was we, it a mistake to go? Was it a mistake to? Was it a mistake to go at all, or was it a mistake to stay? It was a mistake. It, it, honestly, it wouldn't have mattered whether we, we would have gone or not because something like this was already in the cards. It was already it was already in the making from the get-go. So you have the terrorists already in play. You have the camps already. The, the government already knew about these. Why? Because they funded the same camps back in the 80s to fight the Soviets in Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, you know, that, that whole that Cold War debacle. So... You know, the U.S. funded the Mujahideen. What happened? They came well, out it's pretty safe to say, Carlos, it's pretty safe to say that anywhere the United States goes in the world, it's going to face yeah. weapons that it either made or sold. That's not unique to Iraq. That's not unique to any country. Uh, we're, we're obviously, we're, we're obviously, hey, you said dialogue. Take a, take a deep breath. 
obviously we're going to because we're the arsenal to the world we're going to face weapons and pl- people we've funded and factions that we've even in some cases created i i get all that but i, I yeah, to me there's a difference but no you you really you really you really suck at listening man i don't know what to i don't know what to tell you uh, uh, there's a difference between i'm sorry what um, we're, okay. Right now, we're all we're all set here, Carlos. Thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> I just think there's a difference between um, okay, we, we were attacked by terrorists. It's a um, amorphous movement, not limited to one country or one government. So it's not a traditional war. We've been bombed by Imperial Japan or what have you. It, it, it's a um, it's going to happen, you know, they, they set the table, right? It's going to happen in a lot of different places. We're going to have to go to a lot of different places. Um, but then it became a kind of occupation game. So for what was supposed to be a global war on terror, we allowed ourselves to get pinned down in two countries that are right next to each other, or almost, almost on top of each other. And... And we, we concentrated our, our people and blood and treasure in those two places. And I don't think that was effective. I don't think that's what we were told was going to happen. I don't think that's what should have happened. So I don't want to get too into the weeds about Iraq and what could have been and how it might have been different. But, I mean, you, you start out with this premise that we've this is a new kind of enemy, this is a different kind of attack. I mean, it was different, right? I mean, we've never been attacked this way. Uh, attacking with civilian airliners, attacking civilian targets, except for the Pentagon. Um, but then we wind up doing this thing that looks like every other war, right? Massive occupation, regime change, trying to prop up a new government, establish a constitutional democracy, I, I, and that's where I think we went from reacting to being attacked to handing the keys over to these people that have always been in government and whose business is war and occupation and, you know, basically that whole complex. And then it worked very well for them. They all made money. They all kept their government jobs. They get to serve in every administration. But what are we looking at here, you and I, 20 years later? 210-599-5555. We've been talking about uh, this Trump story that's been dominating the news and, and has changed over the course of our, uh, over the course of our show. So, uh, when we, when we started at four o'clock, the story all day had been that uh, Donald Trump had been promoting over the weekend that he was going to be, uh, indicted and arrested by the Manhattan DA's office. Now that looks like either that was never the plan or, um, or they've changed their plan. So it doesn't look like anything like that is happening this week, if it's happening at all. And I was saying that, um, w- when you think about Trump, he obviously has this, um, adversarial relationship with the media. And um, adversarial relationships sometimes are not what they appear on the surface. You've heard of, like, love-hate, right? Um, I've always thought that 
the Democrats and the Democratic media kind of created Trump. You know, that he, he came from a business world where he was a donor to and a friend to a lot of big time Democrats like Chuck Schumer. He came, became even more famous, um, working for, uh, NBC on a reality show called The Apprentice. He, um, published books with, you know, established, establishment publishing companies. And a lot of what he did prior to becoming president was really in the, under the aegis of people like the Clintons and, uh, Hollywood. And then he decided to run for president and they, they basically gave him a tongue bath. They, they want you to forget this now, but. There was fawning coverage. He was interviewed at great length on shows like, you know, Jimmy Fallon and, uh, Morning Joe. They hung on his every word. He was so interesting. When he would do events, remember there were a dozen, dozen and a half other Republican candidates in the 2016 cycle. They would cover his live and continuously and pretty much exclusively. These other people couldn't get arrested. Pardon the pun. And so they, they act out a hatred of him, but they've always loved him. They, they helped make him. And they always say you should watch what people do, not what people say. Well, what I watch them do is cover him. I'll give you another example, Donald Trump. Remember when he was banned from Twitter and he formed Truth Social? Is that what it's called? And that was his social media platform where he could, you know, continue to put out his comments and his opinions. Now, the media that celebrated his ousting from Twitter never failed to report what he was saying on Truth Social. The New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, they would frequently, and they, and they've continued to do it, they would quote him. On Truth Social. Now, if he's, if he's somebody that should not have a platform, why do they keep giving him one? If you really wanted him to go away, you'd drop him. I mean, people that are really not interested in you hearing about, you don't hear about. So when I look at this whole thing that's now going on with him, um, I'm trying to figure out who benefits. So he's in the news. Their ratings are better when he is. And at the same time, he displaces what has been in the news for the last several days, which is uh, the Biden family scandal with money from China and Hunter Biden's laptop. And it just looks, it could be coincidental. I'm not saying it can't be, but it just looks very convenient. But remember, the people that told you he is dangerous, he is irresponsible, his words are so harmful that people should not be able to hear them, they go out of their way to get his reaction to every little thing. 
So they tell you he should never be anywhere near the White House again. But you know what? I think they really want and need him to run. I really think they want and need him to be the 2024 nominee. I also think because they certainly don't favor his return to office, I think they they presume, and I'm not saying they're right, don't get mad at me, but I think they presume that he would be easily defeated by Biden or Harris or Biden and Harris or whatever it is. And so that's where this I'm about to be arrested story came from. It came from him. And they've run it as if they knew it. But it came from him. 210-599-5555. You know, they talk about Trump derangement syndrome, like for people that are never Trumpers, these Republicans that hate Trump and all that stuff. But there's really a kind of derangement syndrome with the media, too. The the modern cable news channels, I don't think they remember what they were doing before Trump was their number one product. I mean, obviously there must have been something, but what was it? What did they fill all those panel shows with? What did they fill all those debate shows with? What did they, how did they pass the time? And you know, if you remember like the early days of cable news, the idea was going to be news. It was going to be like a lot of live coverage and we're going to go to Moscow and we're going to go to Beijing and we're going to go to where there was a natural disaster and we're going to, but really what they are now is, um, they just cycle and recycle. Uh, sort of political punditry and analysis and the four-way screen and you've got the you know the reporter up in this corner and the former republican such and such in that corner and then down here is somebody that was a democrat and then over here you, you know and and he's the the meat in that recipe and um i'm not saying that they don't hate him I also think they hate how much they need him. That makes sense. 210-599-5555. And this doesn't matter. This is not um, dependent on what you think of him. Okay? So you 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 can see this whether you like him or don't. And the other thing that's fascinating to me about him is his his faults are so well known. Like, everybody knows stuff about him that most politicians, if any of this had ever happened to them, involvement with a porn star, a non-disclosure agreement, a lawyer paying hush money, anybody else in politics, if they'd ever been anywhere near anything like that, they'd be on their knees begging, praying, hoping it doesn't come out. And then if it did, it's over. It's over. We know all this about him. These aren't things we're going to find out in a history book years and years later. This is all stuff that was priced into him the first time he ran. And that makes him different from anybody else we talk about, anybody else on the scene right now. And um, so this potential indictment of Trump is a thing of beauty for cable news. It's not because he might be in trouble or get taken off the board. 
because this is this is back to their glory days. This is what they now know how to do best. You know, you could argue, well, we really really ought to be talking about like uh, how much longer does Social Security have, or deficits, or the what? All of a sudden, you're not hearing word one about the banks. <laughs> Seems like a few days ago we were very worried about the banks. Where'd that go? See, those are more complicated and less sexy, and this is the story they know. Uh, they asked Governor Ron DeSantis about uh, the possibility of a Trump indictment and arrest, and I thought he uh, threaded the needle pretty good here. Take a listen to this, cut number one. Uh, we wanted to know what your thoughts are on the rumored Trump indictment, and if you have any role in it, um, if charges are brought on him, will you have any role in extradition to New York? So I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The, the Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. He has downgraded over 50% of the felonies to misdemeanors. He says he doesn't want to even have jail time for the vast, vast majority of crimes. And what we've seen in Manhattan is we've seen the, sky, the, the crime rate go up and we've seen citizens become less safe. And so you're talking about this situation with, and look, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star to, to secure silence over some type of alleged affair. I just, I can't speak to that. But what I can speak to is that if you have a prosecutor who is ignoring crimes happening every single day in his jurisdiction, and he chooses to go back many, many years ago uh, to try to use something about porn star hush money payments, you know, that's an example of pursuing a political agenda and weaponizing the office. And um, I think that that's fundamentally wrong. I also think it's important to point out when you're talking about these Soros-funded prosecutors, yes, they may do a high-profile politicized prosecution, uh, and that's bad, but the real victims are ordinary New Yorkers, ordinary Americans in all these different jurisdictions, that they get victimized every day because of the reckless political agenda that these Soros DAs bring to their job. They ignore. Okay. So you get the idea. I, I'm pretty sure, Don, you can back me up on this if I'm right or wrong. I don't think he ever says Trump's name. So they ask him about Trump, but he talks about what he wants to talk about. He wants to talk about big cities with Soros backed DAs and progressive uh, decriminalization, defund police type policies, and the contrast between the ardor with which these prosecutors in New York are going after a guy in Florida versus ignoring the crime that's plaguing their own people. It's a great answer. It's a smart answer if you're running for president, and it, it you don't play the game, you don't take the bait of talking about Donald Trump. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but almost every poll, and I know these polls are meaningless and way early, but... Almost every poll seems to show that Trump is way ahead of DeSantis. I mean, some of them, it's not, I don't even know if I believe it. I mean, that, you know, I, I can't believe in some of these states he's 50 points ahead or something. That doesn't, doesn't sound right. But what's weird is 
if the polls have Trump as the front runner, why is it that Trump keeps talking about DeSantis? Usually the guy behind, the guy who's bringing up the rear, has to talk about the front runner, has to call him out, has to needle him or, you know, uh, you know, expose him. You, you you almost can never find DeSantis even saying Trump's name, and in yep. that answer, not even not even talking about him, talking about everything but him. Towards the end of that uh, Q and A, he tells a reporter that he does not want to get involved in that. All he wants to do is take care of Floridians. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's um, I think it's a pretty smart way to go. I I I. But I mean, you can see what what the the shape of this story is. So Trump has basically assigned to the media their their marching orders for this week, and they're running with it. And I mean, I know that sounds counterintuitive to you at first, but think about it. When he wants coverage, they give it to him. And when he wasn't on Twitter, remember he was out of office, Twitter kicked him off, and he was a he was the mad tweeter, right? Never, you didn't go a day without knowing what he thought, how he felt about that, because they made sure wherever he still was, they told you what he was saying. Now they might have reported it with a smirk or a disapproving facial expression, but my point is, they can't. What was the line from Brokeback Mountain? They can't quit him. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Um. So. We're talking about that. We're talking about the the Iraq war. She had some interesting takes about that. Um, Don, you still have the um, the thing with Dr. Fauci and and Mayor Bowser. I want to play that. They did a thing during during um, the push in I guess it was twenty twenty one or twenty twenty two, where they were pushing to get people vaccinated. Um. They had the mayor of D.C. and Dr. Fauci going around, uh, like knocking on doors, encouraging people to get vaccinated. This is, I guess, an outtake or a piece of that video that was not used. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta hear this. They go to this guy's door and they start in on their pitch, you know, uh, like they're selling magazines. This is Dr. Fauci, Mayor Bowser, and a guy opening his front door. Listen to this, cut number four. People in America are not settled with the information that's been given to us right now. So I'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. And then you all create a shot in miraculous time. It takes years to... Well, it, it used to take years. Okay, it used to. You know how you know how many years were invested in this in this approach? About twenty years of science to get. Okay, us hold to on, be- hold on. So, what Fauci's talking about is mRNA technology, but what the gentleman at the door is talking about is the COVID vaccine. The COVID vaccine uses mRNA technology, but no, they weren't working on the vaccine for twenty years. We didn't know about COVID for twenty years. All right, play some more of it. This in this approach, about twenty years of science to get us to be able to do it. Twenty years is not enough. 
and nine months is definitely not enough for nobody to be taking no vaccination that you all came up with. The only reason I'm talking to you right now, as close as we are, is that I've been vaccinated. Right. But if it allow thousands of people like you don't get vaccinated, you're going to let this virus continue to percolate in this country and in this world. Something like the common flu then, right? It's much more serious than the flu. Well, the flu kills a lot of people annually too. You know how many people died of the flu the last year? I mean, not this year, virtually none, but the previous year, about 20 to 30,000. You know, how many people have died from COVID-19 in the United States? 600,000 Americans. Well, you, well, that, well the, the number that you all are giving that died, that's, that's once again, that's you all's number. You going to pass. Yeah, definitely. Because right. when, when you start talking about paying people to get vaccinated, when you start talking about incentivizing things to get people vaccinated, there's something else going on with that. Something yeah. else something else going on. It is something going on. Yeah. You're right. But I'm glad millions of people like me and almost everybody here didn't get an incentive. You know what their incentive was? Protecting their health and protecting the city. Well, but that, I, I, well, I won't keep you anymore. It's okay because my, 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 my incentive y'all campaign is about fear. It's about inciting fear in people. You all attack people with fear. That's what this pandemic is. It's a fear. It's fear, this pandemic. That's all it is. I, I got to tell you, I mean. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know who he is. There's no way to tell, like, what his politics are, or how he votes, or anything like that. But would you find it? Um, would you find it reassuring if you knew that there was uh, a vaccine and there was a public interest? I mean, like a public service campaign out there. Hey, everybody, get the vaccine! And then one day you open your door, and the the highest ranking medical officer in the federal government, the highest paid employee of the federal government, and the mayor of the city are standing outside your door. It's like publisher's clearinghouse, only not. <laughs> they don't have a they don't have a giant check for you. They just have a giant syringe. But seriously, what if you wanted to make this thing look unreliable, untrustworthy, could you do better than that? I don't think you could. This is this has always amazed me. Whether it's mandates, whether it's um, the whole sort of emotional blackmail thing. Well, you do care about your grandmother now, don't you? You know, that whole thing. Like everything they tried and rolled out, to me, contributed to your concern or fear or doubt about what they were pushing. None of it resembled the way you would expect medical professionals to act about a treatment that was established and clearly safe. And it just, and that is so bizarre to have the mayor and the, and Dr. Fauci just ringing doorbells like they're selling Girl Scout cookies or something. I mean, it's crazy. That would make you doubt it if you weren't doubting it before. Like, oh, I didn't get the vaccine, but now that the mayor came to my house, I guess I will. I mean, and then uh, imagine this, the delusion of those two. We are so admired if, if we go to people and grace these, these peons with our august presence. You know, if we climb down from the royal coach and approach their hovels, they will be so moved. They will be so, so thankful, so grateful to be basking in our presence that, 
Yeah, they'll get that vaccine. They'll do it. Wow. 210-599-5555. Coming up, results on the JR poll and your calls. Don't forget, you can hit the uh, Jack Chat line anytime, even when we're not on the air live, and leave a comment for the show, 210-599-5550. Just leave your first name, your city or town, your comment. We'll play them back on the air, 210-599-5550. in a quicksand, and I'm starting to sing. I need someone to help me, but I don't know which way to Power, the results on our poll question 20 years later was going into Iraq a mistake. Imagine it's been 20 years since that started, March of 2003. Um, 210-599-5555 or jack at ktsa.com. Randy writes, as a retired soldier who was in Iraq and Afghanistan, it brings tears to me since we took the since we took the bait on weapons of mass destruction, it was all about the oil and military industrial complex uh, that makes money out the keister. Unfortunately, I took it, he writes, hook, line, and sinker, Bush and Cheney had us all fooled. Uh, great topic, thank you. And um, Lloyd writes, we went into Iraq because Saddam had put a price on George H.W. Bush's head and Junior wanted to get even. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember those days and I remember what my opinion was and how I felt about it. And I, I, I'll freely admit my, my, uh, opinion or my thoughts about that war have changed over the years. You know, I, I, it, I what I'm saying today is not what I would have said 20 years ago. Um, and I do believe it's nuanced. I, I do believe that, uh, I don't believe it was an absolute lie. There were no weapons of mass destruction. Saddam was great. He was just repaving the streets and trimming the hedges. You know, no, I mean, th- that was a very dangerous regime to the region and the world and to our guys in Afghanistan. It was, um, probably unfinished business from the Persian Gulf War of 91. Um, but just as the way we stayed in Vietnam and got bogged down in Vietnam and broke the promises we made to our own people about Vietnam, just as that poisoned the well for a long time after, this has done that to today's America. And... um I, I don't I don't pretend to know why everybody did what they did. I don't I, I'm not inside George Bush's head. I don't know. I don't know if he's a good person, a bad person. I don't know. But I come back to the idea that there is a there is an industry. There is a business of war. And if you're the president or the people advising a president, it is your job to save the country from people whose business it is to have perpetual war. Not to help them, work with them, be friends with them, but to keep them at bay. And I don't think that was, I don't think that happened. Let's just put it that way.
210-599-5555. So we've got that. We're going to see how you voted on the JR poll. Um, it got a little giddy on St. Patrick's Day on Channel 6 in Philadelphia, the morning show. The meteorologist, her name is Karen Rogers. Uh, she was doing the handoff, if you will, to her co-worker, Jessica Boyington. So Karen Rogers was doing the weather. Jessica Boyington was going to do the traffic report. Here's how that segue happened on Channel 6 on Friday, cut number 3. Wednesday, mild, some sunshine, 60. Thursday, partly sunny skies and 57. And to another woman who likes to be double-fisted in a different way, I think, Jess. <laughs> she means beer. She means beer. Um, guys, she means beer. Don't put me on YouTube. My God. I just... Yeah, we're going to take a pause. We're going to keep going. We're on running right now, guys. We're watching Route 202. Mm. Awkward. I thought this was interesting. You know, when we talk about electric cars, um, if you envision a future where instead of pulling into a gas station, spending a few minutes pumping gas, you're at these charging stations and you have to be there for a little while. I've been thinking about what would that like what would that look like? What will people do? What will businesses do? Uh, will there be business opportunities? Because you basically have a captive audience. You have a person who's uh, charging their electric car. Um, the website autoevolution.com says in China, Cadillac salesmen are going to Tesla supercharger stations. So here's somebody in Shanghai, let's say, hanging out, waiting for their Tesla to recharge. Along comes a Cadillac salesman driving the new Cadillac Lyric, the electric car, and they're saying, hey, while you're waiting, why don't you test drive our car? They've got a whole marketing team bringing the caddies around to places where Tesla owners are, uh, you know, a captive audience. I really believe... You'll, there'll be situations where people will be sell, there'll be food trucks and people will be selling you things and it's going to be a whole new business model. You know, right now we think of the gas station. If you go in, what do you, they have like, you know, Cheetos and Big Gulp and, you know, um, but I mean, it's going to be a different experience. And so that's, I mean, you got to, that's certainly some hustle on the part of those. A Cadillac salesman. Now, this was interesting. This is auto, also from uh, AutoEvolution.com. It says electric vehicle makers are having to not install AM radio receivers in electric cars. Electric cars will not have AM radio um, because AM radio um, apparently has interference with the electromagnetic field created by the battery pack. So they're basically taking it out because it doesn't work very well, so they say, on electric vehicles. Now, the issue with that is that in many parts of the country and the world, AM radio is the vital resource during an emergency. It's where you would get a weather bulletin or there's a hurricane coming 
or uh, you know, if you live in a, in a city like New York, that's where the best traffic reports are. Um, and so there's some pushback now from both the radio industry and others about whether that's a very smart thing to do. I mean, all of this will get, you know, sorted out. This is all stuff that if you were just letting the marketplace move at its natural pace would be fine. You're going to have these um, issues because of mandates and, and, you know, trying to speed this up and force it and cram it down people's throats. That's the, that's the, um, you might say they're double fisting electric cars. Can I say that? I just did. I hope that you will feel like anytime a thought pops into your head, like, oh, when he was talking about this the other day, I meant to say this, or I wish I had thought of that. You just, just leave me a message on the Jack Chat line, 210-599-5550. 210-599-5550. Name, city, some thoughts, opinions. We'll play those back. J.R. Poll question, 20 years later, was going into Iraq a mistake? 57% said yes. 43% said no. And we'll have a new question tomorrow at 4. Speaking of Iraq, Sarah Idan was Miss Iraq in the 2017 Miss Universe pageant and now lives in California and is running for Congress. Sarah Adan fled Iraq for a better life in America and says there's a voice missing. There's the immigrant who effing suffered and came here and lived the American dream and says she wants to root out, quote, the crazy far left and woke voices in the Democratic Party. She's tired of hearing about white privilege. She says, quote, shut up. You have no idea how privileged you are. So she's very exercised about extreme leftist Democrats, but get this, she's running as a Democrat. Now, I, I think without knowing that she probably is running as a Democrat because A, it's California, and B, she would have no chance of the people she's trying to reach even hearing her Otherwise, so I, I actually think that might be a very wily, smart thing to do. But anyway, she says she's going to run for a congressional seat in California as a Democrat, but run against the far left in the Democratic Party. Maybe, uh, maybe there's room for someone like that. I doubt it, but I commend her for trying. Uh, one more thing tonight. Um, this actually came out last week. I didn't have a chance to mention it. For the first time in 30 years, the U.S. has a new favorite breed of dog according to the american kennel club the new number one most popular dog breed in america is the french bulldog labs spent 31 years in the top spot that's a record in akc history but now the french bulldog lovable little french bulldog the most popular breed viva la france see you back here live tomorrow at four